3: In the 1950s, moviegoers experienced the thrill of watching gigantic ants invade the sewers of Los Angeles.
4: For born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous,
2: there is no word to describe them.
3: The ants threatened the city of angels after being irradiated in the desert by an atomic bomb test, and they mutated to enormous size. The movie then was one of the first creature features to tap into our fear of the harmful effects of radiation. Now, of course, those ants were the victims of nuclear radiation, not radiation from radio waves. But even so, the fears have stayed with us. You could say that they, too, have mutated. So, as telecommunication companies roll out 5G cellular service, there's some public confusion about the upgrade. For one, why do we need it, and is it safe? There's a general fear that 5G waves could cause cancer. Well, that would be alarming if true. So, should we be worried about the health effects of 5G? This is Big Picture Science, produced at the SETI Institute. I'm Seth Shostak.
1: I'm Molly Bentley. In this episode, who is worried about the safety of 5G, what 5G is, how our history of radiophobia might be shaping our attitudes, and what the latest health studies say. This episode of our regular look at critical thinking is Skeptic Check 5G.
3: You've undoubtedly been hearing about the rollout of 5G. That's the fifth generation mobile network. And this faster network is replacing 4G everywhere. New towers are going up. And you may already have gotten word that you're going to have to upgrade your phone.
1: Why do we need things to be faster, Seth? I mean, my texts are traveling on 4G and they're fast enough.
3: Yeah, your texts are because there's not much information in a text. But if you're trying to download a couple of movies, well, then you care about how fast the download is. Not just faster internet in your home from 5G, although in some cases that'll be 100 times faster, but also quicker responsiveness. In other words, shorter lag times if you're talking with somebody on the other side of the world. And 5G will also help us connect more devices together all at once. It's anticipated that 5G will finally unlock the potential of the internet of things and self-driving cars.
1: Well, despite all those benefits, or maybe because of them, the introduction of this new network standard is making some people very nervous. Technology is supposed to
0: connect us. But for this group, that's not the case. People need to
4: check this stuff out.
0: Protesting the rollout of a 5G network in San Diego. We don't want to be experimented on. They're not doing the proper safety studies.
1: But along with the health concerns associated with radiation have come some extreme responses to the arrival of 5G. Cell phone towers have been torn down in Europe, for example. And in the U.S.
2: The RV had been parked outside of an at and building in the early hours of Christmas
1: morning. A suicide bombing outside an AT&T building in Nashville in 2020 destroyed a block of storefronts and cars. Authorities say the Nashville bomber, 63-year-old Anthony Warner, may have been obsessed with conspiracy theories about 5G phone technology. The bomber's alleged motivation was that 5G is being used as spying technology. Whether or not that was his motivation, there is paranoia about the technology. Like other major communication companies, AT&T uses 5G, the latest super-fast cell phone technology. But some conspiracy theorists fear 5G can be used to spy on Americans. Others even believe the coronavirus is being spread by 5G waves.
3: Okay, so the appearance of 5G towers has caused some anxiety, from the possible health effects of the new wavelengths that it employs to more sinister suspicions. How do we sort out what is a reasonable concern about 5G from paranoia and determine whether 5G is actually safe?
5: I'm John Samet. I'm the dean of the Colorado School of Public Health and trained in epidemiology and public health and medicine. Uh, What is 5G? It refers to uh, fifth-generation telecommunications. In particular, 5G uh, telecommunications use a higher frequency spectrum band than uh, earlier telecommunications protocols.
3: Okay, so that means the frequency or the wavelength on the radio dial, if you will, where my cell phone communicates with cell towers... Well, these frequencies are simply part of the electromagnetic spectrum.
1: And what the electromagnetic spectrum is and how we use it will help us understand what 5G
6: is. So let's shed some light on that subject. My name is Claire Parkinson, and I'm a scientist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. The electromagnetic spectrum is the entire range of light that exists. It goes from very, very short wavelengths to very, very long wavelengths.
3: It may be odd to think of electromagnetic waves as light because, you know, when it comes to electromagnetic waves, we only see a small range of wavelengths, the visible spectrum. But of course, you know, that's what this stuff is. It is light, or radiation. The electromagnetic spectrum includes gamma rays, X-rays, ultraviolet, visible light, infrared, microwaves, low and high frequency radio, and a whole lot in between, ordered by frequency, or if you prefer, By wavelength.
6: So the shortest being less than like the diameter of a nucleus of an atom. And there's no limit in terms of how long the wavelengths can be, be the size of the earth or the size of the solar system or longer. My name is
4: Bob Berman. I'm the astronomy editor of the old farmer's almanac and also the author of Zapped from Infrared to X-rays: The Curious History of Invisible Light. Uh, Closest together are gamma rays. Next closest together are X-rays. And then after that, we get things like um, ultraviolet. And what type of light or energy it is, is determined simply by whether each of these waves are close together or far apart. And by far apart, I mean the ones that are close together. uh, You can have uh, trillions of them in an inch trillions of waves. Whereas with radio waves, uh, a wave could be 100,000
6: miles from the peak to the next peak. Visible light, the kind of light that we see, that we're most familiar with, would be in the middle of this huge spectrum.
1: We use specific bands of this spectrum to convey information.
5: Exactly. So electromagnetic radiation, radio frequency electromagnetic radiation, generally is what we use for communications. And there's different frequency spectrums across that band, and 5G occupies a particular position in terms of frequency.
3: So 5G, the fifth generation, I think the 1G, which they probably never used the term because it was the only G, was in 1982. And then it seems like, you know, approximately once every 10 years... They come out with a new G, so that we went from 1G to 2G to 3G to 4G, now we're up to 5G. Now now why do they keep switching the standard? Doesn't that make my old phone uh, incompatible?
5: Well, it's going to make your old phone not as good as your new phone, and a large part of the move to 5G, of course, is bandwidth and the ability to move information uh, more quickly than with the uh, frequency spans used before.
3: As you know, radio broadcasts obviously use radio waves, and radio waves of very long wavelength. Cellular telephones and television, they also use radio waves, only shorter wavelengths. Now, what some people might not know is that microwaves are a subset of radio waves, and they're typically an inch or so in wavelength. The frequency bands used for 4G and all the other Gs since the first were basically in the microwave region of the electromagnetic spectrum.
1: But what is the relationship, Seth, between the frequency and the wavelength of these waves?
3: Well, look at it this way. Consider the waves at the beach, water waves, right? Now, how many water waves come by per minute, say? Well, that's the frequency of the waves. You know, there there's six waves per minute or something. And the distance between the peak or the trough of those waves in feet, you know, that's the wavelength.
1: Okay, and so shorter wavelengths mean higher frequency?
3: That's right. That's right. Consider sound waves, they're also waves, Uh, and these two notes. Here's one. Now, that's a low frequency sound wave. It has long wavelength. Well, that's a higher frequency, shorter wavelength note.
1: But how do you pack information into a light wave?
3: Well, consider this. I mean, consider those waves again, down by the beach. And you need to send one bit of information, right? Now, what you do is you say, okay, if a wave is two feet high, that's a one, and if it's three feet high, that's a zero. So now you can use the waves to carry bits of information, and you can encode any kind of information, whether it's a movie, or just whether you're going to accept that date tonight, in terms of digits, zeros and ones.
1: I see, so you can alter the waves and you can encode information that way, but then how do you pack in more information to the higher frequency waves? For example, the higher frequency 5G waves versus 4G.
3: Because you simply have more waves per second or per minute in which to encode the info. Simple.
1: Well, that sounds like that's the key, because 5G is leaving the microwaves of 4G behind, and it's moving up the band to millimeter waves, where the wavelengths are measured in, of course, millimeters. These are shorter waves and higher frequency. And this makes faster data transfer possible, if I have this right, Seth, such as the Internet of Things, where we connect everything together, and self-driving cars.
3: Not to mention the fact that if you just want to send a lot of information, you don't have to spend hours doing it.
5: You're going to hear a lot of advertising about what 5G is going to do for you. 5G will connect us to information, innovation, and our loved ones in ways we can only imagine. But I think it most importantly, it's going to allow for information flow more quickly. So whether that's you know moving large amounts of data, files, or streaming movies, all that will be sped up.
4: Fast ship.
5: It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs.
4: She's fast enough for you, old
3: man.
5: So it's basically faster. Faster, exactly. And certainly that's one of the advertising hooks for it.
3: Okay, and the reason we need new cell towers, or if not new towers, new equipment on the towers, is because basically we've got radio transmitters and receivers that are working at a different different frequency, different part of the spectrum. You know, suddenly everything, all the technology has to be adjusted, has to be changed.
5: Certainly. And and of course, here again, there's this question of uh, how far these waves travel and uh, the need for more densely placed transmission.
3: That's one of the things that they don't tell you on the television ads for 5G, that's going to take a lot more equipment to service the nation at 5G than at 4G because you can't have the towers miles apart, right?
5: No, Exactly. And, and again, for those who are concerned about the health consequences. That is one of the biggest sparks, uh, the more densely placed uh, transmission towers.
3: Well, you need more towers because remember, 5G is using millimeter waves. They get more data per second to you, but the range is limited to only a couple of hundred feet because the shorter wavelengths of 5G are more easily blocked by buildings or hills or any sort of structure, so 5G antennas need to be more densely packed to serve as relays.
1: So we're seeing a lot of 5G towers go up around cities, including residential neighborhoods. And as you said, Seth, people have not been forewarned about this and it is causing some alarm.
4: How would you like to wake up one day to find a 5G cell phone tower suddenly going up right outside your door? That's what's happening to some South Tulsa residents and they're trying to find a way to stop it.
6: As a cancer survivor of a stage three cancer, I wasn't
1: expected to live. I'm really not too happy about that, being less than 100 feet for one of the towers.
3: Her concern about the health effects of 5G radiation are understandable. Other concerns are more imaginative, says Dr. Samet.
5: So why don't we start with perhaps one of the most ludicrous, uh, which is that uh, 5G is responsible for the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, let's set that one aside, but, you know, it was uh, taken seriously enough by some people in the UK that they uh, were destroying uh, cell towers um, to avert the uh, pandemic. But you know more broadly, uh, there's concern about cancer, particularly uh, brain cancer, and a wide range of other health concerns. So if you took a look or did a Google search, you'll find disturbed sleep, heart rhythm problems, effects on you know, the development of uh, babies, some people feel they're sensitive to this uh, kind of radiation, that it evokes general symptoms. And these are people who take themselves off the grid to avoid this kind of exposure. I think the one that's been taken most seriously is cancer.
3: So s- some people seem to think that it's uh, causing COVID or causing the spread of COVID. H- how would that work?
5: Yeah, it wouldn't work in uh, in a word. And uh, of course... Uh, COVID-19 is caused by a coronavirus, uh, SARS-CoV-2, and uh, there's no mechanism by which non-ionizing radiation, whether 5G or some other type, could uh, contribute to the uh, pandemic.
3: It's like saying that uh, COVID is being spread when I turn on my flashlight, I don't know, or my laser pointer.
5: Perhaps it's, it's uh, as minimally grounded in any uh, underlying uh, possibility.
1: One thing is clear, along with the inability of 5G to spread a virus, is that the fears of 5G have spawned a lucrative market. People are making money on this. Seth, did you know that there are devices called EMF blockers? Yeah,
3: I did, actually, although I, I, I've i heard of them described as tinfoil hats.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, EMF blockers, electric and magnetic field blockers, I think is how they're being sold. Um, they supposedly protect you from electromagnetic radiation, and there's one EMF blocker, which is a hat, and it's called a Faraday beanie, and it runs for about $90 or so.
3: Named after the English scientist Michael Faraday, he was one of the pioneers of understanding electricity and magnetism. And, you know, it would block the waves if if that's anything to, to worry about. Any kind of metal mesh on your head would do that. And it's called a Faraday cage because, well, he was the first one to point this fact out. You could make one for yourself out of chicken wire, but it would only protect the top of your head. But are those waves dangerous? And what about the rest of your body?
1: And your pocketbook, because this would cost $90, this hat.
3: Well, I think that's the real harm. You're out $90 to having a, an aluminum foil hat.
1: Okay, so here's what we've learned so far, Seth, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, our lives will be, some say, enriched by 5G. They will certainly move faster. There's more that we'll be able to do. Uh, because these are millimeter waves that we'll be using, we can send more information per second. But there are concerns about the health effects of millimeter waves among certain sectors of the public.
3: Well, right, although I think that's mostly because it's new. You know, after all, it's been moved up the dial vis-a-vis 4G. It's millimeter waves, not centimeter waves, which are microwaves.
1: And there are concerns about this. These are smaller waves. Um, Cell towers are going up. People are afraid that the environment is going to be filled with these closely packed, high-frequency electromagnetic waves. (laughs) And it's making them very nervous. We can reassure people that these waves can't transmit COVID or be used to read minds. But is the fear that millimeter radiation could cause cancer justified?
3: Later in the show, the results of a study that looked into the health effects of millimeter waves. But first, people have long had fears about technology that uses electromagnetic radiation, from microwave ovens to, well, radio itself. What fears have been borne out and what have not? And where does 5G fit in? That's next.
1: It's our regular look at critical thinking on Big Picture Science, Skeptic Check. In this episode, should we be worried about the health effects of 5G? This episode of Skeptic Check is 5G. As we were putting together this episode about the safety of 5G, we wanted to do more than just summarize the health studies. We thought that the context and the basic science was important to help you understand why we know what we know and what questions remain about 5G. Doing that took research, which took time, although we enjoyed doing it. If you support these efforts, if you support thoughtful science journalism, particularly our Skeptic Check episodes, we hope that you'll support Big Picture Science on Patreon. It's easy to do. You just go to patreon.com slash science and sign up. And if you've already done so, thank you. If you become a Patreon supporter at the $5 level, you'll have access to bonus materials such as conversations that are not included in our episodes. But even more, you'll have access to ad-free versions of our podcast. No ads. Your support also frees us up here on Big Picture Science to produce the show and not worry about how to keep it going. Instead, we can argue about where to get a clip from the science fiction movie, Them. So please take a moment to support Big Picture Science on Patreon and then enjoy listening to the show without any ads. It's easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash bigpicturescience and sign up. Thanks.
3: For more than a century, we've developed technology that has harnessed the unique properties of different regions of the electromagnetic spectrum. The fifth-generation wireless technology, 5G, is just the latest. It operates at higher frequency with millimeter-length waves rather than the centimeter-length waves, which are also called microwaves, used in previous incarnations of cell phone technology.
1: But the rollout of these technologies through history, whether for communication or heating food, have caused concern, sometimes even fear. How many of those fears were justified? Well, we'll take a look at the history of some of these fears, beginning with the concern that arose when radio debuted. Yes, radio, says astronomer Bob Berman.
4: Then it was Heinrich Hertz in Europe who discovered uh, radio waves. It turns out they're created anytime you have a spark, an electrical spark. And then you could hear that on your radio as little static and clicks and stuff like that. And anyway, that's how Heinrich Hertz discovered it, that sparks give off radio waves. And uh, it took until the turn of the century before people like Marconi discovered that this had interesting properties that could let us uh, transmit voice and music.
3: We learned how to encode information on the radio waves, as we heard earlier, such as voice or music, simply by changing the pattern of the waves. It's called modulation, as in amplitude or frequency modulation, AM and FM.
1: So imagine, music is now magically filling your home, carried by something called radio waves. Use of the new form of communication made some people edgy as a result, says NASA scientist Claire Parkinson. Well, they
6: might seem benign now, but whenever something's new, it's more questionable whether it's benign or not. So I can understand if somebody realizes that there's going to be this radiation all over the place because of radio waves, I can understand they're having some concern.
4: Can't blame anybody for being afraid of things that you can't see, but which can actually affect you. That started with electricity. Now, if electricity and it was discovered can change your body or even harm you, and it was thought when uh, Galvani discovered that muscles would contract when fed an electrical signal, many thought that now humankind was messing with something that was basic and a fundamental part of how the universe worked with electricity. The radio was just the latest step then in uh, being afraid of the invisible.
1: You know, it makes sense, Seth, being afraid of radio waves back then. People couldn't see them, but they knew that they were moving around their house and through their bodies, and they would wonder what the health effects were.
3: Yeah, they were fearful, until we learn more about atoms and how radio waves interact with them. Remember, all electromagnetic waves are a form of radiation, but whether it is harmful radiation Whether it can change the structure of the atoms in your body just comes down to how much energy these waves have.
4: The longer the waves are from crest to crest, the weaker they are. And at a certain point of energy, they lack the energy to break atoms apart.
3: The fundamental concept that we need to understand the safety of electromagnetic radiation particularly if we're talking about cell phone and 5G wavelengths, is the difference between ionizing and non-ionizing radiation.
4: Electromagnetic radiation, whether ultraviolet or radio waves or all the others, are either ionizing or non-ionizing. And what that simply means is, is it powerful enough to break apart atoms? Since we're made of atoms, if it can break apart atoms and free the electrons... It can change our DNA, it can change our cells, it can give rise to cancer. Ionizing radiation does that. But radio waves are non-ionizing, which means it can't do that, which means it can't hurt us. And
1: is it dependent on the, the wavelength, the, the frequency, whether or not it's ionizing or, or non-ionizing? So on one, one end of the spectrum, you have non-ionizing, but as the wavelengths get smaller and, and higher frequency, they become ionizing?
4: Exactly right. The faster the frequency, at a certain point, you get to ionizing radiation. And that starts not with the visible light, not with radio waves and microwaves. Those are non-ionizing. Not with infrared, like when you get a, go under a heat lamp. That's non-ionizing. No, the ionizing starts with ultraviolet.
3: Which is why we are told not to stay out in the sun or we'll get sunburn. Ultraviolet light X-rays and gamma rays are all ionizing radiation, but microwaves and millimeter waves are not.
1: Ah, and that brings us on our tour of electromagnetic effects to another invention, a time-saving kitchen device, indispensable now, but that was initially met with caution, if not fear.
3: This ham casserole might take up to 45 minutes in a conventional oven. With microwave cooking... The dish is ready in just 15 minutes, 67% less time.
4: Yes, a lot of people were afraid of uh, microwave ovens because it made sense that if if it could make food piping hot in no time and if they put the wrong thing in the microwave, sparks can occur. Well, of course, these invisible waves would frighten people.
3: Although microwaves are among the shortest radio waves, they are non-ionizing. But that doesn't mean that they have no effect on biology.
4: Microwaves have the property of uh, heating water, also works on oil to an extent, but it'll heat water. And since all of our foods have water in them, uh, it heats it up. Now, you can heat water just by putting a pot over a stove and letting the flame under it do the job. Uh, But there's no real difference because heat, turns out, heat is just the jiggling of atoms. And the faster it's moving, the hotter it is.
1: Well, Bob, then why microwaves though? Why not use infrared or UV or something? I mean, those are shorter wavelengths. They have more energy. You could maybe heat your food even faster. Why <laughs> did we why did we settle on microwaves?
4: Oh, because because those other waves actually don't make atoms jiggle. They're so small that they can act on a whole atom. An atom is too big for them to deal with. They instead tear apart the atom. They 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 deal with the atomic structure. They're they're dangerous in a different way but it's only things the size of uh, microwaves that are perfectly sized to make the entire atom move. And as we said, moving atoms are heat.
3: And so microwaves would cook your skin if they managed to get out of the oven, but they don't do that. You can blast your burrito without worry.
4: Every microwave oven has a little screen with little holes in it. You just look closely at yours, you'll see little holes right there in the glass that you look through. And those holes are precisely sized so that they are too small to let the microwaves out. And if they can't get out, they can't get out. So they they just don't get to you to harm you.
1: Were you ever nervous about using your microwave, Seth, when you first got it? No, I
3: (laughs) I was comforted by the fact that it had this screen on the front with holes in it, and the holes were closer than the wavelength of the radiation inside. I knew it couldn't get out.
1: <laughs> okay, that's what happens when you give a microwave oven to a uh, physicist. I was nervous. I was a little nervous about it. I remember using a microwave oven for the first time and standing across on the other side of the kitchen because I was nervous. Well,
3: you were safe. I mean, but there, you know, Molly, there's another example that took place around this time that worried us. Back in the 1980s, claims were being made that the radiation from power lines, you know, those large transmission towers outside your house, uh, could give you cancer. The radiation from them could, if you lived close enough. But the scare was eventually put to bed with a whole series of studies. However, the early fear about microwaves is understandable. Again, it was a new kind of radio wave, but this time it was making changes to substances that we could see. Boiling soup cooking meat. But there's another factor contributing to fear. At this point, we were well into the atomic age.
4: That's why these children are practicing to duck and cover just as you do in your school. We all know the atomic bomb is very dangerous. Since it may be used against us, we must get ready for it, just as we are ready for many other dangers that are around us all the time. The uh, gamma rays are the really bad boys of the electromagnetic spectrum and they are given off when the atomic nucleus is messed with and that happens with radiation atomic radiation and so that very easily ionizes atoms meaning it breaks them apart it sets their electrons free it damages chromosomes and genes and very much can give rise to mutations birth defects and cancers that signal means to stop whatever you are doing and get to the nearest safe place fast. Always remember, the flash of an atomic bomb can come at any time, no matter where you may be.
2: I'm David Ropeik. I'm a retired Harvard instructor and author of several books about the psychology of risk perception.
1: He describes a psychological effect driving much of the public's fear about electromagnetic radiation. The word he uses might suggest an aversion to radio broadcasts. But that's not what it is.
2: Radiophobia is an excessive fear of things having to do with radiation. radiation being nuclear, electromagnetic, all kinds compared to what the physics and the evidence tell us.
3: OK, so uh, you know, I might be afraid of you know radio waves, microwaves, or I might be afraid of the gamma radiation due to a nuclear blast. Those are kind of different things. Have people always had a fear of this thing?
2: Well, it's important for your listeners to understand that while you and they may understand the distinction between nuclear and electromagnetic radiation and even within nuclear between alpha and beta particles and all of that, the word radiation is a generic word to most people, and when they hear it, it's scary. It's associated with fear. And yes, that's long, long, long long-standing. And the reasons for that are, first, historically... When radiation was introduced first in x-rays a hundred and some years ago, it was mysterious, invisible, and had these magical powers, we could see bones, and that mystery, that invisibility, means that as a risk, this thing, this whatever it is, is uncertain to us. Uncertainty is key for fear because when we can't understand something, we don't feel empowered to protect ourselves from it.
1: Dr. Ropik has written extensively about fears of nuclear radiation and about our current worries about electromagnetic radiation and how the two became conflated.
2: The modern forms of radiophobia that include electromagnetic waves kind of latched on to the radiophobia that originally started with nuclear in the 50s because there was this fallout of radioactive material, and that and Godzilla and everything that followed set into the public a deep, deep fear of radio stuff. Then along comes the environmental movement. God bless them, I'm a member, but they began with fear of radiation, not chemicals. Their original inspiration was the fear of radioactive fallout. And they hyped this, and they hyped this, and they hyped this. And then when modern technology came along, right, electromagnetic fields and those things in the 1980s, and it got lumped into the same fear, with fear from nuclear.
3: Well, I don't know if you saw it, David, but there was this film in the 1950s called Them, where, uh, you know, a nuclear test mutates some ants somehow in some way so that all the ants in a, in a hive suddenly become eight foot high at the shoulder and they fly off to Los Angeles and uh, infest the sewers, causing havoc and destruction. Did you perchance see that? Film? Oh, I could still hear the
2: screech of the ants yeah. when they're attacking. Absolutely. Fabulous. <laughs> Wonderful.
3: Well, the scariest part of that film for me was when the little girl, you know, was totally unresponsive. And when they finally, you know, got her to say something, she just screamed, them! Right. Ah! Them! Them!
1: Them!
2: That, That generic fear, oh my God, this radiation stuff can do invisible bad stuff to us, magnified by science fiction, is... The popularization of radiophobia, a key step in it all.
3: So part of the problem here is semantics. The word radiation, which includes all electromagnetic waves, is also confused with radiation applied to nuclear radiation.
1: Right. And there's actual risk and perceived risk. And the emotions of perceived risk have followed us into the age of the cell phone, which has affected David Ropeek personally.
2: So I'm currently sitting in a house in Concord, Massachusetts, that has crummy cell phone service because we have a bunch of uh, environmentally attuned people in Concord who are dead set against all forms of radiation because radiation, oh my God, is scary and environmentalists are supposed to be afraid of it. And they won't listen to the facts that I offer them. I can offer them until I'm blue in the face. And so what I say to them is, There are emotional reasons why we perceive all risk facts the way we do. Here are the ones that I understand for radiation. I hope you take those into account, too, as you make your own judgment about this risk. But I don't try to change their minds or persuade them because they're coming from a belief. And if I challenge that, I'm challenging them, not the facts about the science. That sounds like appealing to their emotions. That's exactly what it is. That's precisely what it is. That's My whole conversation here has been that risk perception is ultimately emotional and subjective, and you can have all the facts and understand them all perfectly. There's no knowledge deficit issue here. And still interpret them the way you want to.
1: Let's talk about those cell phones. Cell phones use radiation known as radiofrequency radiation. It, too, is in the radio band of the electromagnetic spectrum and, again, non-ionizing, which is different from other kinds of radiation known to be harmful, like x-rays. But
3: while people don't carry a microwave oven in their back pocket, many carry and use a cell phone. Billions of people. And many generations of cell phones use microwaves. However, they operate at a much lower power level than your microwave oven. Still, some people have wondered whether cell phone use could be linked to health problems.
5: So we know that ionizing radiation is a cause of cancer. Non-ionizing radiation with its much lower energy does not directly damage DNA. So any way that it would cause cancer, for example, would have to be some sort of indirect effect.
1: Like other wave-based technologies, the cell phone has created anxiety. But now the public concern can't be dismissed as excessive.
4: If you put a cell phone right next to your brain, next to your ear, which actually a lot of people do, could it heat brain tissue? And the answer is yes. It measurably, slightly heats up brain tissue. Now, the question is, is that bad? I mean, if you drink uh, hot soup, that will heat up your brain tissue to a small extent.
1: So that's why sometimes we hold our phones up to our ears and our ear starts to get warm. The phone starts to get warm, our hand gets warm, and the ear gets warm. And that's the heating process that you're talking about.
4: You wouldn't feel it. No, no. The microwaves from a phone are are too weak to cause a a heat that you'd feel. It's been measured in laboratories that there is a a less than a a degree, a tiny bit of heating, but you wouldn't notice it yourself. Nonetheless, because the last word isn't in about whether having your side of your face closest to the phone or even your brain ever so slightly heated, whether this has any deleterious health effects Uh, why not be extra safe and use earbuds and uh, keep that phone down and away from your head? According to the
1: CDC, there is no scientific study that provides a definitive answer to the question of whether cell phone use, especially extended use, causes cancer or other health problems years later. Dr. Berman's advice, to use a hands-free headset and not hold the phone up to your ear, is what scientists and doctors recommend.
3: Well, so what does this history of technology using electromagnetic waves tell us? Well, it helps us to understand why we might be afraid of what we can't see. We have a long history of being afraid of the invisible, and in the case of nuclear radiation, well, that's warranted but we have also conflated nuclear radiation with other kinds of radiation.
1: But we also heard that in some cases we have reason to be cautious. Cell phone radiation is not dangerous radiation like X-rays or UV rays, but it can heat biological tissue at a low level, and that may be a mechanism for creating some sort of other biological effect.
3: There is one deleterious non-health effect of 5G that we do know about and are dealing with right now, Interference to landing aircraft. Millimeter waves are also used for aircraft altimeters, and a 5G cell tower close to an airport might disrupt them, which is not a good thing when you're trying to land a plane at night in the fog. As a consequence, telecommunication companies recently agreed to slow their rollout of 5G near airports after airlines raised these concerns.
1: That brings us back to what we don't know the possible health effects of 5G. We'll talk about the latest studies. Next.
3: It's our regular look at critical thinking on big picture science. Should we be worried about the health effects of 5G? This episode is Skeptic Check 5G.
0: With Wired Science, you can geek out all you want. It's a podcast for anyone obsessed with math, science, space, biology, or technology. And it provides in-depth coverage on current news and discoveries
3: Thank you. I wouldn't think that a new cell phone standard would get people worked up, especially with a promise of bigger bandwidth and faster response, all because the new system works at a substantially higher frequency than my clunky 3G phone here. But hey, higher frequency means higher energy and some people have worried that 5G might be injurious to their health. Well, you're listening to our take on the new technology, made for you and thanks to you. That's right, despite your supposition that these shows materialize out of the ether, they're actually handcrafted, and thanks to your help. For those of you who still haven't done so, give us a hand by signing up at patreon.com slash bigpicturescience and supporting our show. And if you donate $5 a month or more, you'll get exclusive access to bonus material. Patreon donors are getting episodes earlier and without ads. That's patreon.com slash BigPictureScience Hello? Oh, hey Ralph. Hmm, too much latency here. I may have to go to 4G. Well, this brings us to the question of whether 5G technology is safe. That is, do the waves it uses, millimeter waves, pose some sort of health threat? Millimeter waves, after all, are non-ionizing radiation. They're too low in energy to set the electrons free, mess up an atom, and disrupt our DNA. That's what ionizing radiation does.
1: And yet, non-ionizing radiation can excite atoms and heat tissue, as we've heard. So what do the health studies say about the possible health effects of 5G? Well, there are no published studies yet of 5G, but we can make inferences from studies of earlier-generation cell phones.
3: On the one hand, the widespread use of cell phones by billions of people suggests it's not a big health problem. However, at least one recent animal study looking at the effects of electromagnetic radiation used in early-generation phones, 2G and 3G, suggests that there was some biological effect.
1: We return to John Samet, epidemiologist and dean of the Colorado School of Public Health.
5: So on first principles, many uh, have argued that this radiofrequency electromagnetic radiation could not be a cause of cancer because it doesn't have the energy to damage DNA. And so that's the non-ionizing versus ionizing radiation <laughs> distinction. So many would say, and the physicists in particular, that it can't be a cause of cancer. Then that said, there are In particular, I'll turn to animal studies that show that longer term exposure does have uh, consequences. And at least in one study uh, involving rats, there was indication of damage to DNA. Now that could be indirect and not a direct hit from a freed up electron, uh, as would happen with ionizing radiation. So perhaps some other mechanism underlies this. We don't have enough research um, you know, on this, on this topic, particularly in trying to understand what could be underlying any possible effects.
3: You mentioned that there had been some studies of the long-term effects of this radiation in rats, and that there was some effect, or at least the study seemed to indicate that. Could you elaborate a bit on that?
5: Right. So, first off, um, no one, to my knowledge, has really done any definitive work on 5G itself. And recall that we are, in our lives now, exposed to many different forms of radio frequency uh, electromagnetic radiation, whether it's our phones or Bluetooth or whatever. So the studies have been done in animals, rats and mice, looking at actually 2G and 3G in the main studies. And then also we have studies in humans, epidemiological studies. Uh, let me go back to the animal studies. Yeah, so there were two sets of experiments run. The the experiments in the United States involved both rats and mice, and they were exposed um, in a setup that was intended to replicate sort of 2G, 3G day uh, exposures. And the uh, study in uh, Italy was somewhat similar, again, uh, earlier uh, technology. The key finding from the two studies were was effects in male rats, a rare tumor of the heart called a schwannoma, and increases in numbers of nervous system cells. Now, these effects were not observed in female rats, and they were not observed in the mice in the U.S. um, study. So we are left with indication that exposure caused an effect, and then we have the quandary of extending those findings to people? Uh, and not to be too flip, but are people like male rats or female rats? Will there be an effect? I mean, these this is a complication, so we really need to probe deeper on the side of mechanisms and see if we can understand this.
3: Yeah, that sounds like a tough one. What is it that male rats have that female rats don't have that makes them susceptible? I mean... Yeah,
5: and these kinds of differences are often observed in animal experiments and complicate their interpretation.
3: Okay, so what you're saying there is that these studies that were done actually not at the frequencies at the wavelengths used for 5G, but something comparable, uh, in, in, in rats, showed that there was some sort of health uh, effect that they suffered. But the, the problem here was that this was not a terribly well-worked-out experiment, was it? I mean, it sounds like well, it's a very you know, well, something was...
5: Yeah, no, these were very big and expensive experiments that were quite well... Worked out. I think the complication is: what do the what do the results mean for human health? Um, are we like male rats? You know, so that that's a that's a complicated um, generalization. And you know, we're really a bit um, stymied. To me, what this shows importantly is that exposure to this kind of radiation did produce a biological effect. Um, And for those who were skeptical and say, well, non-ionizing radiation can't cause anything, at least here's some evidence that no, it did. Now, getting at what exactly might be underlying this in terms of mechanism, extending the results to people uh, becomes difficult and challenging.
3: To begin with, the the, uh, condition that it caused in these male rats this was uh, some sort of tumor of the heart, was that it?
5: It's something called, the, here's the big name, a schwannoma of the heart, a, a tumor of certain kinds of nervous system cells. And then in some tissues there was indication that cell numbers of nervous system cells were actually um, increased.
3: So John, when it when it comes to harmful effects from cell phone radiation, whether it's 5G or 4G or 3G or 2G, you know... It sounds as if we really don't know everything we really need to know to be able to sign off on this and say, you know, this is no more dangerous than cornflakes. It's not going to hurt anybody.
5: Right. So we have real gaps in information. We didn't go into the epidemiological studies here too much. There's some mixed indications there that there may be uh, increases in risk. You know, cancer has been most studied. Uh, 5G specifically has not been studied. People aren't really getting, only now getting exposed to it. So if, we, if you said to me, is it safe? I would say, well, we don't have the evidence to know that yet. We have some studies that are negative, some are positive. And when I talk about this in the general way about radio frequency electromagnetic radiation, I say we have some warnings that we need to follow up on. Uh, because we do need to understand the risks, given the fact that this exposure to radio frequency electromagnetic radiation, whether 5G now or 10G in 50 years, is part of our lives. So we need to be able to understand whether it poses uh, any risk.
3: Okay, well, one thing is surely true. If there is an effect, it will depend on, you know, the amount of exposure you get to it. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to climb up Uh, some tower or the roof of a tall building in town and put my head right next to the 5G transmitter. I mean, you know, I'm going to always be hundreds of feet away from the transmitter with, I suppose, the exception of when I'm using my phone.
5: Right, except, of course, this is where the concern with 5G comes from, that there'll be more transmitters and maybe we'll be nearer them as the network is built. So I think that's, you know, part of what has uh, led to the voicing of you know, concerns by the public.
3: Well, then finally, John, I mean, you know, it sounds like if there is an effect, it's probably reasonably subtle. It isn't, you know, it isn't real obvious that there's an effect there, but there may be an effect. And so it sounds like, well, in order to sort this out, we simply need more data. That's often the answer to a lot lot of questions in science. We need more data. But... As we just noted, the telecommunication companies are rolling out this technology, and the people who are afraid of it say, we've already passed a point of no return. Is there any backstop in terms of regulation or you know mandates by the government that would uh, stop this if it turned out to be dangerous?
5: Well, I think this question is, if it turned out to be dangerous, how would we know and what do we do? And one of my <clears throat> general comments about this is that we should have the right kind of evidence, either showing that we can't find risks or that there could be risks or that there are risks. If you think about it, there are billions of cell phone subscribers around the world. and <clears throat> We're exposed to this kind of radiation from before birth, now literally throughout our lives. And so, you know, I, I think given that scope of exposure, we should have the right kind of research in progress to make sure we understand if there could be adverse effects. I mean, I, I will say here that uh, we don't have a very well organized research agenda here. We should, uh, and somebody you know should be stepping up to uh, pay for it. So I you know I think there's a need to understand safety, which means you know what risk might be, and that that's lacking. And clearly, for the fragmented evidence we have now, some are interpreting as, you know, showing a hazard, and some are simply dismissive. So, I, you know, I think this is the case, you know, you ask a researcher, what do you need? Money and more research, of course. But this is a case where I think uh, we really do, given the fact that, you know, this kind of radiation is just woven into our society in so many ways.
3: Well, you're in the field of public health, John. I've got to ask you, are you buying a 5G uh, cell phone?
5: <laughs> we'll see when the time comes. Right now, I'm quite happy with my uh, 4G and uh, my text messages get to everybody fast enough.
3: John Sammet, thanks so very much for speaking to us, especially over a network that is maybe not as fast as it will be at some point.
5: Okay, well, nice to talk with you, uh,
1: Seth. John Samet is the dean of the Colorado School of Public Health, and he is trained in epidemiology and public health and medicine.
3: So the big picture here is that although we've done studies on earlier incarnations of the uh, cell phone standards, this is a new one at a much higher frequency. Uh, Once again, something they can't see, they can't smell, they can't feel it. So even though 5G radiation is not ionizing radiation, I think we still have to do the epidemiological studies that will assure users about its safety.
1: Thanks to the fast and efficient work of senior producer Gary Niederhoff and assistant producers Shannon Rose Geary and Brian Edwards. I am the executive producer of Big Picture Science, Molly Bentley. Also, special thanks to Bob Berman, Claire Parkinson, David Ropeek, and John Samet, who were generous with their time in the making of this program.
3: Thanks also to financial support from Rena Shulsky-David and Sammy David and NASA. Big Picture Science is produced at the SETI Institute, a nonprofit education and research organization that, among other endeavors, promotes critical thinking. I'm the Institute's senior astronomer, Seth Shostak. Also, a big thanks to our listeners and our Patreon supporters.
1: The original music in the show was by Dewey DeLay and June Miyake. This Skeptic Check episode of Big Picture Science that looks at the science of electromagnetic waves and the possible health effects of new 5G cellular networks is called Skeptic Check 5G.
0: Skeptic Check is brought to you thanks to a generous grant from the Trimberger Family Foundation. At the Trimberger Family Foundation, we hold that skepticism is a lamp that lights the way to truth. Trimburger.org.